Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 23rd of December. I've been on hiatus for the last two weeks on a bit of a break, enjoying some downtime with some family in Canberra. I'm still down here and I'm so delighted to be back and be joined by my sensational co-host, Nick Stoll, aka Stolich. Welcome to you, Stolich. First of all, the most important question that I have out of all of this in my absence is, did you bloody miss me? I, I did uh, miss you, in fact. Uh, shout out to Adrian Archuli. He did a solid job uh, in your place. But uh, listen, you can't you can't replace, you know, the best, you know. When Messi's out, <laughs> Barca can still win, but you still need the superstar right back in there. And, you know, I, we can already see that uh, Ivan Stragan uh, is welcoming you back. I think the fans really missed you. Oh, well, I really missed um, engaging with the fans. And, um, and speaking of which, it's fantastic to be rejoining you guys for what will be our Christmas week sort of special program. We've got so much coming up on the show. We're going to be giving and getting your predictions for the upcoming A-League and W-League seasons. We're chatting to Dylan McGowan. We've got Roy O'Donovan coming on the show. Sydney FC defender Liz Rolston joins us as well. Later on in the program, we're catching up with women's football expert Sam Lewis, who is also going to give us her predictions and give some insight into the FIFA Best Women's Voting as well, because we know that those were both announced with Lucy Bronze and also the FIFA Men's Best uh, Award going to Robert Lewandowski. But she's our, our official voter, so she'll be able to give us some insight into how that whole process goes. But we've got plenty of talking points to get through. So many guests, guys. We urge you and encourage you for the duration of the program, get your questions and your comments in as quickly as possible so that we can address them with all of our guests and answer them um, as the show goes on. But um, first of all, I want to cover off uh, some of the major headlines that have been doing the rounds, particularly in the last couple of days, Solich, and the first one, of course, being that no thanks to COVID-19, which has really destroyed and, and toyed with so much of our emotions and our livelihood in 2020, has once again, unfortunately, reared its ugly head in New South Wales with some COVID cases uh, spiking and a cluster forming in the northern beaches. It's um, hopefully going to be contained and not going to be as dramatic as what we saw play out in Victoria, but um, it's wreaked havoc on the A-League slash W-League schedules and, and Football Australia made the announcement yesterday that they have had to do some reshuffling and some rescheduling. So first of all, your reaction to this Stolich, I mean, there's not much that they could do. Kudos to them and Gregor Rourke and the entire team for turning it around as quickly as they could in such a rapidly evolving situation. But the question is, how could this impact respective clubs? Yeah, well, I think uh, they've done really well to make sure that football is still going to happen. That was kind of the big worry that it could totally torpedo the season. We have six teams that are based in New South Wales. Of course, the five regular teams, you know, including the new MacArthur team, but also Wollongong is, uh, sorry, Wellington is in Wollongong uh, for this season until the borders open up with New Zealand. So, we're going to have football on. That's the main thing. That's the most important thing. But it is going to be very messy. These first few weeks are going to be absolutely crazy. You've got Melbourne Victory, who their second – so they're playing their first game of the season at home to Brisbane Raw. Their second game of the season a week later is away to Brisbane Raw. So you're going to have very weird things like that. You're going to have some teams having played – three or four games when one team hasn't even played one game. I think Perth Glory start their season January 16th. Um, so there's a lot of big changes. It's going to – the table's going to look very messy, but I feel like they're doing the best they can, and that's the New South Wales teams to play each other first and then the other non-New South Wales teams to play each other. It's not a perfect situation. It is going to – cause an imbalance, uh, I think, with a lot of teams. Um, it's going to hamper preparations. Um, you know, I don't know really who's going to get an advantage, who's not, because at the same time, everyone kind of has a different disadvantage, you know. You've got Wellington has their entire team away from their home. You've got Sydney FC, I believe Steve Corica can't even go back 
to his home on the northern beaches. So he's in he's in his own kind of isolation. So the, the, all kinds of teams are going to have issues, but uh, I'm really looking forward to that first game, which is going to be Western Sydney v MacArthur. I'm still waiting to hear back from Western Sydney whether that's going to be a full stadium. I can't imagine it will be. I imagine there will be some restrictions. I mean, if they're telling us that on Christmas Day we can only have 10 adults in our home, I'm not sure how you're going to be able to have 20,000 people in a stadium. I'd love to see 20,000 people in a stadium, but... That's going to be a big issue and I'm not sure uh, it will happen. But, yeah, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, uh, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's one of those things where you don't want to draw into question now the integrity of the competition because they've had to go through such rigorous processes. But when you talk about the fact that you're going to have teams that are sort of sitting out and playing, you know, different types of fixtures and, and, you know, playing repeat opponents, it's not an ideal situation. But neither is COVID-19, neither is this entire landscape that we've been thrust into, unfortunately. And just when we thought that we were starting to come out the other side of it, um, we've been plunged back into the depths of this nightmare, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and we're hoping that they can start to contain this cluster that's um, emerged in the northern beaches and get a handle on it so that going forward, that, um, we're not going to see too many more disruptions to the A-League slash W-League calendar. But, of course, we are catching up with Sam Lewis, as I said at the top of the show, to talk more to her about what we can expect from the W League season and how that's going to shape up. But um, I want to move on swiftly to the next item of news that's really dominating the headlines at the moment, and it is the news that um, the Central Coast Mariners prospective owner has come out um, in pretty dramatic and emphatic fashion, Stolich, and, and made some bold claims about what's going on with the ownership. He's saying that he's going to shake up the A-League once his takeover is complete, and it is none other than Sydney businessman Abdul Halu. So it has been reported not just by the world game but we've also seen it emerge in the Sydney Morning Herald that this alleged takeover from the Sydney businessman is imminent and he came out with some very strong quotes and said we're going through the final stages with legal and we're waiting on the FFA or now FA final approval before we can announce in February he told one of our journalists at the world game in terms of the transition monies they have been put down deposits have been made various monies have been invested up front in terms of the property stuff three quarters of the deal is property there's definitely a lot happening football in Australia does require someone to come and shake it up everyone that currently owns a club is old school and they've been entrenched in the football business for a long time so when you were someone coming in from the outside world with plans to f shit up that those were his exact quotes ruffle some feathers get some player engagement happening it's not hard to do especially when we've bought the worst house in the best street now, naturally, our first question, Stolich, was going to be to Mariners fans to ask them what their reaction to all of this is. Of course, we know that the club has been for sale for some time. Mike Charlesworth has been, you know, publicly coming out and saying that he'd like to sell the club and that he's been going through processes with various prospective buyers. But the uh, the Mariners aren't having it, are they, Stolich? They've, they've come out with a statement of their own, which I'm just about to pull up now shortly, and it seems as though, according to them, that this is all a bit of a fallacy, which is um, pretty disturbing when you think about the, the quotes that have come out from Mr Halu. The Central Coast Mariners have read with interest recent media reports regarding ownership of the club, and in particular the claims by Abdel Halu about the progress of his investment. While the Mariners welcome all genuine investors, the club can confirm that no potential investors have progressed to the due diligence stage with Football Australia, and this includes Mr Halu. The club asks that false claims and news such as this do not distract anyone internally or externally from the upcoming A-League season. That is only days away, and the club is disappointed that such unsubstantiated articles 
are permitted to get the airtime that they do. Very strong words from the Mariners, but equally very strong words, Stolich, from the potential incumbent owner, which it seems apparently isn't, despite the fact that, according to him, monies have been deposited. Listen, he wanted to F shit up and he F shit up because it is a storm at the moment. What's going I mean, listen, these these prospective owners, these current owners, it's absolute madness. We had the madness with Perth at the start of the season with all that token crap that was going on there. You know, Newcastle is still looking for an owner. I believe their current owner hasn't put money in for over a year. It's absolutely crazy uh, what's going on. So um, I think the the big thing that's unfortunate for the Mariners fans and is that they still don't really have an owner who's committed to investing in the club. You know, you have Charlesworth, who still is the owner, but he's trying to sell the club. Um, you know, I still always kind of want the community model, community ownership model to be put forward. I don't know what's happening with that. I signed up to something that was an expression of interest, but doesn't seem to have gone anywhere. But, you know, yeah, like Mike Long is saying, it's a circus. It's an absolute circus. Um, but, yeah, this guy, I mean, it doesn't seem like he is going to be the owner. And, yeah, as what Tonka Tone is saying is right there. is crazy unprofessional language. I mean, the fact – I didn't even like the way he said, oh, I'll just bring five Spanish players from the second division and they'll just – smoke the league. It's like, well, hold on, we've got players coming from La Liga, which is the division above in Benyat, you know, Susayeta, um, Victor Sanchez, who we're going to hear from later on the show. So already that, it just seems, yeah, very unprofessional. Although I would say he wouldn't be the first kind of crazy owner. We've had Nathan Tinkler. We've had, um, you know, Clive Palmer. We've had some absolute crazy, crazy owners. And this kind of just continues. And this is also why I think I always push for a community model is because you're not so reliant on these, you know, strange personalities let's say to prop up your club you're re you're relying on the fans who are much more you know stable as much as fans can get crazy as well it's strength in numbers so that's why i think uh you know i think all clubs should be pushing for is a uh, community ownership model mm, i know you've been a big advocate and a strong advocate for that for some time i certainly would tend to agree but um you know how that would work in australian football and and you know what kind of impact that would have on club ownership, the existing ownership models that they've got going on uh, remains to be seen. But um, a good question that came through uh, from A League Memes question: Couldn't Johnny Davidson get confirmation from Mariners before publishing? Yep, that's a fair point, and I'm sure that Johnny would take that on board. But A League Memes, what the hell has happened to you guys? Before we welcome our next guest, you've gone from being a piss taking page to starting to post serious things to questioning people's mental health. I'm going to call you guys out a little bit. I don't know that I'm happy with what's happening over there at the moment. I've always been big fans of you guys. So if you're going to take the piss, be a memes page. If you're going to be serious, be a news page. That's my final say on that. Let's move on and welcome our next guest. He's been a fabulous contributor to Australian football. He's been such a delight to watch in action. And now we are very delighted to have the presence of Newcastle Jets forward Roy O'Donovan join us. Roy, great to see you, my friend. How are you going? Great, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Hi, Nick. Hope you're well um, and ready for Christmas. Oh, we're so ready for Christmas. But I'll tell you what we're also ready for. We're ready for football to resume in this country. And, Roy, I mean, it's just been such a crazy year. You know, thanks to COVID, of course, we've seen it wreak absolute havoc on people's livelihood, on the, the sporting calendars, and it's not just been you know, restricted to football, but now we've been thrust into another situation where we've had further disruptions. I mean, I, and, and with everything going on at, at Newcastle Jets, the football club at the moment, um, you know, from the outside, we're a little bit concerned about how things are. But just give us a snapshot from your perspective about how things have been going? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's not been ideal preparations. A, a lot of our players have been tempted by offers elsewhere. We have a takeover situation. 
um, that's lingered on a little bit. But um, as far as the playing staff is concerned, uh, we're a resilient bunch. Um, you know, we're looking forward to a new season. Um, we're stretched a bit thin numbers-wise, but, uh, you know, the area we're in Newcastle, we have to insulate ourselves and, and not worry about what's happening on the outside and try and get results because that's the important thing. Couldn't agree more for you. Yeah, Roy, I wanted to ask, you know, at the start of the season, everyone's making their predictions, who's going to be top, who's going to be bottom. What I wanted to know from you and kind of being inside the camp is how do you think the, the Jets will go? Because obviously from the outside, like we're saying, we've got, you know, ownership issues, um, you know, Craig Deans is the interim coach. We don't know if he'll be given the full-time role. But so there's a lot of people who are putting Jets down the bottom of the table. That can often be a good motivator for a club. We saw last year Wellington were like, oh, we were last. Look, we're going to prove everyone wrong. How are you guys feeling internally? Do you think you guys are going to prove a few people wrong? Well, that has to be the goal, uh, definitely. I mean, the year we got to the grand final, uh, we were expected to come rock bottom that season as well. So, you know, I'm not sure. Um, you know, are, are we going to get to a grand final? You never know. But uh, we'll definitely be competitive. Um, I think we've got a lot of real quality and experience in our team. We've got some great young Australian players coming through and they're going to get an opportunity to play now. We've got a very small squad. And, you know, we need all hands on deck. But, um, yeah, look, I, I like the idea of that challenge that people think we're going to be, you know, wooden spooners. And, uh, you know, I like the idea of proving people wrong. What about your overall views of the A-League season and it coming up now? I mean, there's so much unpredictability. It's easy for us to sit here and say that teams that have had turmoil in the off-season and, you know, away from the pitch, you know, like the Jets, for example, could be wooden spooners. But there's, there's so much up in the air, Roy. What are you actually expecting from this overall A-League season? Yeah, look, you're right. There is there's a lot up in the air, but I I, I think it's a huge huge opp opportunity, Lucy, for uh, Australian football now to move forward again. It's been a bit stagnant for the last few years. Mm -hmm. We now have a new model where the, the clubs, which is what they wanted, is to own the league and put their own stamp on it. Whether that's marketing the league right, getting bums on seats at the stadiums, whatever it is, it's a real opportunity, and it starts on the football pitch with, with, with as I said, young Australian players coming through with the quality overseas players that are coming in. Yeah, it, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. But as players, we have a, an obligation to put a product on the pitch that people want to come and watch. And we need personalities on and off the field for that. And, um, you know, that, that's going to grow the game. And, and it's very important, really, that it's positive things moving forward now because, uh, you know, we, we as you said, we've had a tough year with COVID and all that kind of stuff. We need to uh, be resilient, move forward and, and put a great product on the park for the early. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, uh, Roy, what I wanted to know is how is it going with Craig uh, Deans as kind of the interim coach? You know, what, what, how kind of has he been in training? Are you guys, is it your understanding that he's going to be the coach for the remaining of the season? Uh, and how does that kind of destabilise the group if you don't know who even is going to be the coach so kind of close to the season? Yeah, obviously, we, we don't know if he's going to be the coach or interim coach, but Deans is Mr Newcastle. He's been the ladies coach, he's been the, the youth academy director, he's been a player here. So he knows the club, he knows the area and he's, he's a great guy. He, he's putting on some great sessions himself and, and McBreen and uh, we're working for them, we're playing for them. But uh, yeah, there, there's a, still a few things, a few loose ends that have to be tied up, you know, with management, with, with Laurie and, and Joel and stuff and, and what's happening behind the scenes. But uh, if Deansy was to get the job, the lads would, would, you know, break their neck for him because he's a great guy and he wants Newcastle Jets to win and that's the most important thing.
Roy, I have to address the elephant in the room. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion. Of course, you mentioned earlier that players have been tempted away and there are some existing players that are potentially still a bit frustrated by their circumstances. But I just want to know, what bearing or impact has this actually had on the playing group? I mean, seeing teammates go through this process, um, you know, feeling like that the club is slightly fractured, it's in a bit of a limbo period because you're, you know, you know that the owner is wanting to sell. What impact has that had on you and the guys? Yeah, look, day to day in training, Lucy hasn't had a, a huge impact on us. But uh, obviously, I suppose the fact is, you know, we're losing good players and we're having players tempted away, which is which is always frustrating. Um, Bernie obviously is a loss. Obviously, he was here a short time. Um, he's a bit of a loss for us. But the big loss for the team would be Stevie Agarkovich. So keeping him now is is a must for us this season because. We haven't got a great amount of experienced players. And uh, Stevie's one of the top young players in Australia, himself and Angus Turgate, I think, are future Socceroos. So tying them down, keeping them here, and hopefully getting new ownership all in, in the next few weeks, months, is very important for the club moving forward. But, um, yeah, look, it is. It's a distraction. But as a playing group, we're trying not to focus on it and, and focus on winning the next pre-season game, the next training session. And making sure by and large that we're, we're ready for Mariners come round one because that's all people care about. No matter what's going on, whatever turmoil is behind the scenes, we're still expected to win football games because that's our job. I have to say, you're such a quality footballer, Roy. We've all loved you here, whether it's been with the Jets or your time with Brisbane Roar. I know that we've got a couple of fans who are asking genuinely, um, you know, why it is that you left Brisbane Roar, and you can answer that after this. But were you ever tempted away, I mean, throughout all this turmoil? Because I think you're such a great footballer, and some clubs might be crazy not to try and snatch you up. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, look, I, I, my, my best feature, my best asset is I want to win for whatever team I play for. So... Uh, certainly, you know, you know, people have questioned my wanting to win too much in the past, definitely. But uh, I, I enjoy Australian football. I think it's great standard. I think the people here are quality. I think there, there's genuine people in football in Australia that want the game to flourish and, and move on. And, and I think they're coming to the fore now. I think there's a, a real opportunity to grow the game here. And no, I wasn't tempted away. I think this is my son was born here. And as you know, you know, family's everything and, and, and you know, Australia's home now. So uh, I want to help the Australian game grow. And uh, I don't know how long I've got left, but hopefully the next few years I can I can help Newcastle Jets in whatever way I can and scoring goals and winning games and, you know, making the next generation better. Oh, we love to hear that. Uh, Stolich, a couple more questions for Roy before we say goodbye. Yeah, uh, Roy, I wanted to know, last season at the back end, you guys were so good. You, you won so many of your last games. You made a real push for the finals. Without Carl Robinson and, you know, the players that you've lost, how do you kind of replicate that magic that you had at the end of last season going into the new season? Yeah, look, I suppose it's trying to kick on from that, really. We were so positive. We were such a, a front-foot team. But I think we need to do that again. I think uh, there's no point in us. Uh, moaning about, oh, we lost players, we've lost coaches, uh, there's bits and pieces happening behind the scenes. We have to be a front-foot team, try and win football games. You know, we might get uh, beaten the odd time, but, uh, you know, by and large, the fans up here, if you if you have a go, they'll clap you off the park. And uh, I think we need to, yeah, take bits and pieces from last year. Carl came in and some really good tactics and, and worked for the players that he had. And uh, we need to make sure we don't forget the good things that he brought in here and make sure that we have something different up our sleeve when we play them round two.
And um, we've got to get to these questions because they keep coming through. Joshua Wilson, uh, Ari Brisbane also asked the question, obviously a Brisbane Raw fan. Roy, why did you leave Brisbane Raw? They want to know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was something I wasn't expecting to do. Uh, I was enjoying there. I was enjoying the guys. It's a very good club. I got on with, with everyone there. But obviously, look, we, I had a, a difference of opinion with the coaches staff around that time and the opportunity to go back to Newcastle came up and I took it. Pretty simple, really. And you know what? That's football, right? And, you know, I remember actually asking my brother many years ago as we looked to wrap up, I, I asked him, so, you know, I heard you didn't get along with this player and I heard you didn't get along with that player. And he said to me, have you ever not got along with anyone in your workplace? And I said, yeah, actually, there have been some real dickheads out there. And he said, well, it's no different in football. So, yeah. you know, we all have to start understanding that sometimes it's not going to work. You, you want to be happy in this environment. You want to be playing your best football. And, and we hope to see more of your best football coming out of you in this upcoming season. And whatever that looks like, we hope that COVID can stay at bay and we can get a handle on it and we can watch some quality football games. Roy O'Donovan, always a great pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for your time today. We wish you all the best going forward. Happy Christmas, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. Yes, a big happy Christmas to the legend there, Roy O'Donovan. Great to have his company here today. Of course, you know, he addressed the issues that have been going on at the Jets, uh, I thought, pretty satisfactorily there. He said, you know, it has been a distraction, of course, and how could it not be? But I think ultimately the biggest question going forward is is the, the, the two things, actually. The two real issues with this football club now are they need to get a new owner and they need to appoint a coach. But can one be done without the other? Can they appoint a new coach until they find a new owner? Sorry. Well, not really because whose responsibility – if the owner comes in and he wants to, you know, take the club in a different direction, I don't think so. I don't, maybe it is good that they give it to Craig Deans, you know, like uh, Roy said, he's Mr. Newcastle. That that that's a, could be a good appointment for the rest of the season. But, you know, I, I do look at it and we're, we're asking people to make their predictions for the season. I wonder how people think the Jets will go because when I look at it, you know, you look at it and you say, well, they did well at the end of last season but they've lost their coach. You know, they don't have a full-time or a, or a – you know, permanent coach installed. Uh, they have issues with the ownership as well. You know, it's a bit of a tinderbox for issues. Now, it's good to see Roy's in good spirits. And, you know, uh, Steve Ugarkovich came out uh, today and said, you know, despite what his agent had said, that he's fully committed to the club, he 100%, you know, he's going to be here for the season where, where he is at the end of the season when he's off contract, probably somewhere else. But, you know, Steve Ugarkovich is a fantastic player. So if the Jets hold on to him, uh, I think that's a you know, step in the right direction and we'll see. Maybe maybe they can surprise people and it's a very weird year. It's going to be a very weird year in terms of all the fixtures. So hopefully they can do well. Before we welcome our next guest, uh, Western City Wanderers defender Dylan McGowan, I, you know, I'd love the opportunity quickly to talk about uh, the Bernie Abini drama that occurred there. Um, and I know that a lot of people weighed in on it on social media and had their views. Of course, we saw CEO Laurie McKinna come out and, and make statements of his own via, it seemed to be like a luncheon, um, a sponsorship luncheon or something, and that ended up going viral. We did ask if Laurie was able to join us on the show today. He's certainly tied up. They've got a lot of commitments at the moment, of course, a lot of drama with the rescheduling, etc. Uh, so we weren't able to get him on. But um, I don't want to weigh in, Stolich, too much on the mental health claims. I think that I, I think it would actually be a serious misstep for any of us involved in the media or peripherally to start to determine whether or not Bernie Abini was feigning mental health issues. He obviously wasn't happy, happy at the club. He obviously was looking an for an opportunity to get out of the club. But what we do know about these circumstances is that when you start to pick it all apart, and I know that we've seen some articles in the City Morning Herald that are 
alluded to the fact that there were no clauses in Bernie and Beanie's contract, which are quite commonplace. I'm not saying I'm an agent, but I have been privy to a number of deals and seen contracts over the years, um, where if you are wanting to leave the football club if the coach leaves, that's a clause that's inserted. Now, apparently this was not in Bernie Abini's contract. I'm happy to stand corrected. I'm happy for his agent, James Hardy, to come out and to, to set the record straight on that. But my issue isn't necessarily with Bernie. It's not necessarily with Laurie McKinnon and the Jets. It's actually with his agent. If you knew that your client... And his happiness at this football club was contingent on whether or not Carl Robinson stayed at the Jets. Why was that not inserted into the contract? I find that completely mystifying, Stolich. And now we're in a situation where we're starting to paint out Bernie Abini as though he's an absolute villain in all of this. And the reality is it is hard because you had him re-sign in October, two weeks after that Carl Robinson left, and then not long after that, that's when he went on his stress leave. Now, you know, Way into it how you like, but my issue with it all is is that unfortunately we're now in a situation where we're starting to discredit somebody for their mental health issues and not looking at the real problems in all of this, which is the people who are brokering the deals. And this agent of his has been his agent for you know a number of years and has been in this agency game, from what I understand, according to his website, for 10 years. But it's very strange. The whole set of circumstances is very strange to me. And I feel for Bernie. I feel for everybody involved. I also feel for the Jets too because you're also in a scenario um, where you've just re-signed a play you're hoping to have him on the books for a year and now you don't get him because he's unhappy and he wants to leave. And I also feel for Stephen Ugarkovich now who's in a situation where he says, you know, these are double standards. Um, you know, I don't feel like, you know, I'm unhappy and I want to go too, but now the club are turning around and saying, well, no, you can't. So they've set a dangerous precedent. I know that Bernie reportedly paid his way out of the contract, but um, it's all a bit of a mess, Stoll. It's a real mess. As one final word on that before we welcome Dylan McGowan. Yeah, it is a mess, but I'll just say on that, so it was his agent who kind of was complaining about the double standard, who, you know, maybe he should have written into the, this is Steve Garkovich's agent, um, saying it's a double standard, he can't buy his way out of his contract. But then my understanding is today that Ugarkovich has come out and said that he's 100% committed to the club for the remainder of the season. So, you know, so maybe it will work out for them. But, yeah, I I just think with all this stuff, it is it is a very messy situation. I think Laurie McKinnon is doing a pretty good job at the Jets holding this club together with all the issues there. Um, and, you know, I hope Bernie Abini does well at the Wanderers. I hope we see him kind of re find his best form and maybe it creates more a, a greater rivalry between the Jets and the Wanderers and I think that will be good for the season so anyway I, I it's a messy situation but hopefully we've kind of we'll get through this mess yeah I think so and as long as you know the respected parties including Bernie are a lot happier then that's the most important thing um speaking of the Wanderers we're absolutely delighted to welcome now to the show uh defender Dylan McGowan Dylan great to see you mate loving that jersey in the background Shinjiano what a footballer he was for the club but um what a footballer you've been too great to have you with us mate we've been talking a lot about you know the, the havoc that COVID-19 has wreaked again we were thrust into a situation yesterday where the schedule has been rejigged but tell us from your perspective just how desperate are you to get back onto the football field and have it be about the football again? Yeah, I think it's been a long time coming. I think um, especially for us uh, towards the end of the COVID break and then there was that in-between time when we weren't sure if the A-League was going to come back at, at any time uh, before Christmas and New Year. But as soon as we got the fixtures out, delighted to get MacArthur in the home game first. And uh, obviously with everything going on, it was a little bit touch and go there, but the team's ready and, and we can't wait to get out. Stolich? Yeah, uh, Dylan, I was just going to ask, have they told you anything about um, the crowd that you guys are expecting for the first game? We know that kind of New South Wales is having all these COVID issues and we don't know whether they'll be kind of allowed to have a full stadium. We were hoping it was going to be a full stadium. Have they told anything to you about that? 
Yeah, I actually haven't heard anything different. I think um, at the moment we're just sort of waiting on the advice of the government and I think with this everyone realises that it kind of changes day to day. So we're hopeful that we can get as many fans as we can in there because I think it would be important to kick the A-League off with a bit of a spectacle and um, I'm, I'm sure our fans can do that if given the opportunity. But um, we're just looking forward to getting back out and playing in front of them. Obviously a new team, a lot of new faces, new coaching staff. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited. Tell us about the new faces and the new coaching staff, what life under Carl Robinson has been like. We had him on the show uh, a number of months ago, of course, when he just signed with the Wanderers. Um, he seems like a really top bloke. He's someone that's very passionate and very committed to, to really furthering the Western Sydney Wanderers' cause and making sure that they return to success. But, um, you know, you've had, as I said, a number of new players come into the side. What has the whole dynamic been like and how are the playing group gelling? Yeah, I think, I think we're starting to gel really well. Um, I think at the start, you know, we obviously promoted a lot of youth and promoted from within, so that gives us a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of belief from uh, the academy all the way through that, that these players now have a pathway to, to play for their club. And um, obviously recently, last week or so, uh, we've signed a few really experienced players that are desperate to play under the manager, uh, desperate to be here, which obviously makes a massive difference to us as, as players and as a club. And, uh, and most importantly, they're good players. You know, they're, they're all internationals just without in their own right and uh, they'll come in and help us and um, definitely strengthen the squad. Stolich? Yeah, um, Dylan, on a tactical level, how do you think uh, it's going to change under Carl Robinson from what you guys were like last year? Uh, you know, we, there were a lot of issues kind of um, under Babbles coaching initially. Um, there seemed to be a slight improvement under JP. But how is Carl Robinson, you know, we saw he did a good job with the Jets, but how do you guys think you're going to change the way you play this season? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to sit here and, and give away everything at the moment. But um, obviously, uh... <laughs> Who are you marking on set pieces? <laughs> yeah, he's not watching. But um, so, uh, we're we've uh, been listening in uh, in great detail to the gaffer preseason. You know, he's, he's on top of everything. He's very uh, detail orientated. I think he's seen the, his impact immediately at Newcastle Jets, and um, you know that's because he, he understands football. He understands the exact idea as to how he wants to play. And it's just about us as players now getting on board with that and uh, and carrying it out to our best of our ability because he's proven himself that at other places he's been that it works and now it's up to us to, to go out and execute. What about the season overall? I mean, we, we just had the chance to catch up with Roy O'Donovan and because, you know, so much seems up in the air, you've got, you know, squads that probably aren't as, as full strength as what they potentially could be because there's been discussions around salary caps, COVID-19, the impact that that's had on the, on the football ecosystem financially. Um, but what are you expecting from this season? I think um, I think it's been a lot better uh, than I thought it was going to be, to be honest, originally in terms of the recruitment. I think uh, the stories that were coming out towards the back end of last season and, and obviously being privy to a lot of the, the PFA calls and the calls between the leagues and the players, you know, there was points there that was a serious doubt that this season could have gone ahead. So for us to get the salary cap over the line, the TV deal over the line, and then for clubs to start signing, you know, a lot of really good international players, a lot of players coming back to the A-League as well. So I think for us, it's a, it's a case of excitement. And, um, you know, the fans have been wanting young players to, to get more chances. And I think maybe with, with everything that's gone on, that might be a benefit. Hopefully that benefits uh, the Socceroos and Australian football going forward, given these players a, a stepping stone to come in and play. Obviously, it's not ideal scenario, ideal circumstance. But, you know, these players will now 
get given a chance to whether to be into squads or to make starting 11s and it's up to them then to go make an impact and I think uh, that will be a big positive that comes out of this. Um, before I throw over to you, Solich, a question, a more suitable question coming in from A-League Mean. How much for the frame does Shinji kick on the back there, they want to know? <laughs> I think with the salary cap reductions, it will be a fortune, I think, trying to say as much as we can get, we'll take. <laughs> Solich, a few more for Dylan before we wrap up. Yeah, Dylan, obviously you're saying the first game is against MacArthur. Now, you know, Sydney FC are the traditional rivals of Wanderers, but, you know, is is there a feeling within the playing group that this is also a rivalry between MacArthur, this, this kind of battle for the western suburbs of uh, Sydney? Do you guys feel like it's a derby match as well? I think with uh, with recently we're going to have a few derby matches coming up. I think there's a... I mean, we're, we're happy, you know, we're obviously a Western Sydney team and MacArthur's come in, so, yeah, you know, if they, we'll see what the game's like on Saturday. I think Derby's sort of, uh, they develop over time, they develop over circumstances and uh, that's probably how they come become the most authentic, but, yeah, I can't see MacArthur taking a step backwards on, uh, on Sunday and I don't think any of us will be either, so hopefully it does develop into a nice little Derby and the more the better, really, in the A-League, the more rivalries there are the more um intense games and a little bit of attention in them i think that's what makes fans watch that's what brings people in and uh yeah let's get it on do you think oh, there'll be a bit of uh tension between uh you guys and the jets or you guys in adelaide or you guys in the mariners i mean i, I i'd imagine so um, <laughs> I, can't see it. I can't see it not being a little bit um a little bit juicy when we play those teams, but yeah, you know, these things happen in football, and uh, you know, for the players themselves individually, and, and for us as teammates, it will be about you know going out there and showing them why that they wanted to come to this club in particular, and uh, you know, and just really trying to stamp our authority on on those types of games, and and like I said before, if that helps bring fans in, helps bring uh, supporters in, media coverage, then so be it. Mm, Wanderers have developed a reputation now for stealing every man's girlfriend at this point now. You've been doing some serious poaching across the league. But you know what? I couldn't agree more with you. If it brings more juice, it adds more spice, bring it on. Um, it's been such a delight to talk to you, Dylan. It always is, mate. Um, someone did have a question also about the fact that um, is Ryan still annoying you? That was one of our questions from Michael Ong here. Oh, daily. Daily. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's an odd one because obviously Sydney done well last year, so I don't really have a leg to stand on at the moment. But um, <laughs> I'm looking for that to change uh, this season so I can at least get some bragging rights. So, uh, I mean, the derbies are all I can, can account for and they went our way, so we'll wait and see this season. Is it weird? One last question. Is it actually weird playing against your brother? Do you have moments where, you know, you kind of forget that he's your brother or do you just look at him as an opponent? I think it helps that we're at complete opposite ends of the field. You know, we don't really come in close contact. I mean, the first derby, we clashed heads, so that's about <laughs> as close as we can get. But, um, yeah, but yeah, it helps that we're at other opposite ends of the field. But he's just another opponent. I mean, we do set pieces against each other and all, and all that sort of stuff, and it's just it's just another day at the office. But there is that extra tension that you, I can't let him score and he can't let me score because never hear the end of it. <laughs> well, we've been so glad to catch up with you today, mate. We wish you guys and the Wanderers all the very best, all the success in the world coming to the next season. It would be great to see a club like Western Sydney return to greatness as well. Um, and uh, we, we hope to see the football produce some really good quality stuff for us in this next season. So thanks for your time, mate, and good luck with everything.
No worries. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Yes, great to catch up with Dylan McGowan there. We've had a packed show already, guys. Keep the questions and the comments coming through so far. We'd love to hear also what some of your predictions are for the A-League too. So make sure you send those in. What we're asking you for are your predictions for champions, your predictions for wooden spooners, your predictions also for dark horses. Who are going to be the surprise package and also any standout players um, that you're predicting are going to have a good season? Spellich and I got into it a little bit uh, before we came on the show because he said, Let's put in predictions for the for the Johnny Warren medal. I said it's too early. We haven't seen anyone kick a ball yet. I can't commit to that. I can't commit to that. So, guys, make sure please get your questions and your comments coming through. But I'd love to know what are your predictions for the upcoming 2020-2021 A-League season? Um, a lot of unpredictability unpredictability in the air. Um, but that also extends to the W League stolage because we've seen some major reshuffles occur with that schedule as well. I, being a Canberra-born and bred girl, have been disheartened with the news that um, you know, some of the Canberra United fixtures have been thrown into disarray as well because of this COVID-19 situation. Um, but um, on the opposite end of the border there, we are absolutely delighted to welcome Sydney FC W League defender and stalwart Elizabeth Rolston to the show. Liz, welcome along. Tell us, how the bloody hell are you? What has this year been doing for you? Thanks for having me. Um, it's been a very interesting year. It's like football-wise, it's been very unpredictable. Um, and I think we're still seeing that now, obviously. We've all got lots of questions about, about the W League, about uh, what this season's going to look like with everything going on in Sydney at the moment and obviously with last-minute fixture changes. Um, it's It's been an interesting pre-season for us. It's been, a you know, the last couple of weeks in particular, everything's kind of developing day by day and, and we're sort of finding out new information all the time. So it's been a real roller coaster year. Um, both in terms of NPL and, and W League, but it looks like that's set to continue for a little bit longer, which makes it interesting. Can you give us, I mean, we, of course, before I throw over to Stolich, we, of course, were always keeping abreast of things and looking at all the updates and the media releases, etc. But what, from your perspective, do you know about what we can expect from the W League, where it stands, especially off the back of the latest COVID-19 uh, readjustments? Yeah, unfortunately, I probably know just about as much as you do at this stage. Um, we all probably found out a little bit before it was released to the public that obviously this um, coming weekend, the fixture for us changed. It, it pushed our match forward a couple of days and obviously uh, changed our position. So we've now got a Sydney derby to look forward to um, this Sunday instead of a game against Melbourne City, which was uh, scheduled for earlier next week. Um, so that's changed our preparation a little bit just in terms of um, organising training schedule and things like that. And obviously a little bit of a shift in in focus. Um, looking beyond that, I think the W League's in a slightly different position than the A League simply because of the number of teams we've got around. I know in terms of the men's team, they're kind of floating ideas that they've got a few more teams within New South Wales that they're actually able to play at the moment. Whereas as it stands um, for Sydney FC, you know, we've, we've got Wanderers we can play and we've probably got Newcastle and everybody else outside of that um, obviously falls outside of New South Wales and we would have to be um, travelling to play. So that's all still very much up in the air. Um, obviously, we're really happy that they've decided to push forward with fixtures and that we actually will see the start of the W League this weekend because, again, we had lots of questions around whether we were actually going to see the season start when we'd expected or whether that was going to um, result in the league being pushed back or, or other changes being made. So we're all just really happy that we're going to get a game of football in um, and obviously looking forward to the weekend. But looking beyond that, I suppose 
it, it's sort of similar for everybody. It kind of depends on how the situation unfolds and it's changing pretty rapidly, but by all accounts, the, the news seems to be relatively consistent and it certainly doesn't appear to be getting worse at this stage. So we're sort of hoping that that all settles down quite quickly um, after Christmas and, and that borders are open and, and looking forward to playing more matches as soon as it's safe for everybody involved. Here, here. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Liz, I wanted to ask, um, you know, as well as being a defender in the W League, you're also a physiotherapist. And I wanted to know how that kind of works. You know, are you, are, do you help players in your team? Do you ever, like, kind of identify injuries on yourself very early? I mean, have you ever kind of looked at a physiotherapist in the team and be like, mm, that's not exactly how I'd do it, that kind of thing? Maybe, <laughs> maybe you have clients during the game. You're like, oh, yeah, hamstring, come see me on Monday, I'll sort you out. <laughs> That's it. Well, I'm actually at work at the moment, as you might be able to tell in the background. Yeah. I'm currently on my lunch break um, doing this interview. So there's certainly quite a bit of juggling and shuffling involved. Um, I think probably personally, it probably makes me um, one of the, the least ideal um, players on the team to treat simply because I sort of know what advice I give other people. And I'm probably my own worst enemy when it comes to actually following the advice I know I would yeah. give other people. Um, but as we're helping out teammates, I mean, I'm always I'm always available for a, a quick question and, and often people kind of come to me with little things like, what do you think? What do you think it could be? You know, what do you think I should do? Do I, you know, as players, we're always really reluctant to, um, you know, even sometimes let medical staff know exactly how we're feeling. So I think it helps they've got someone, you know, that's on their side. They can kind of ask a quick question to without, um, I suppose, alerting anybody to something that might not necessarily need to be I think it's awesome, actually. What a great advantage that you've got a footballer who can also start treating other players if need be. I think you're a great asset to this team, and you always have been. Um, but did you ever cop a lot of stick about your height and being a defender, Liz? Is that something that you had to wear some grief over in your time? Always, yes. Um, I'm probably not the tallest central defender going around. Um, it certainly makes challenges in the air a little bit more difficult, but I like to think I can make up for that uh, with other areas of my game. Um, I suppose in women's football as well, I guess just in terms of height differences across the team, it, it's usually not as much of a um, deciding factor, but it's certainly been something I've, I've had to kind of battle with. I think um, it, it often feels like I'm kind of proving myself usually and, and in terms of coaching stuff sometimes takes a little bit of convincing, um, particularly when I come across new coaches or coaches that aren't familiar with me or, or my style of football um, to kind of convince them that, that the height aspect of things can kind of be um, overlooked when there's other attributes hopefully that I can contribute to the team. I think you're a technically sensational footballer. I mean, nobody talks about Messi's height, but, you know, they always seem to bring it up when he's drawn into comparison with the great Ronaldo as well. And I won't let you get into this debate, Stolich, otherwise we'll be here all day. But what can we expect from Sydney FC in this upcoming W League season? You guys had your heart broken last season, but what does what does this season bring for you guys? I think um, the goals for us are, don't really change between seasons. I think personally and for a number of girls um, that have been around the Sydney FC set up for quite a while, I think pushing for a premiership is certainly high on our list of priorities. I think, I mean, this will be my ninth season at Sydney this year and in that time we haven't actually um, achieved the result of, of winning a premiership. So that is certainly something which is on the to-do list and I think right from the start of the season our intent will be to get a result out of every game that we play and really push to have a really consistent um, season and ended up at the top of the table at the end of the, the regular fixtures. Um, but looking forward, 
I mean, we expect to finish top four. I think at Sydney, we've we've had a really good run the last couple of years. So our expectations are no different this year. That we're certainly pushing to make top four and, and be one of the last two teams um, playing in the grand final, and certainly look at collecting some silverware along the way, which I think is something we're capable of. We've got quite a few new faces in the team this year, which is a little bit different for Sydney FC. I mean, usually we've got quite a, a consistent, um, I suppose, group of players that, that are in and around the squad, but it helps having the consistency of Ante as head coach that um, for the players who have been around for a while, we're quite familiar with, with his style of coaching and for the new players coming in, everybody's slotting in really well and we're starting to, to see in this late stage of preseason that things are coming together nicely in terms of the team gelling. Oh, that's such great news to hear, Auntie Yordich, big fan of his as well. He's done fabulous things in, in the coaching sphere as well, also coaching in the in the in the MPL and then coming across in the W League too. So he's certainly got his hands full. But um Liz, thank you for taking the time, particularly on your bloody lunch break, to come and chat to us about uh, you know, the upcoming W League season, what we can expect from uh, Sydney FC this time around. We've really appreciated your company and we wish you guys all the very best. We're looking so forward to seeing the football resume. And God willing, let's hope that COVID stays at bay and we can and um, watch you guys produce the goods for us. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, what a legend Liz Rolston is there. Um, always good to catch up with the W League girls as well. Um, you know, had had we had more time, one of the things I would have loved to have asked with Dolich was, you know, about the doubts potentially that so many of these uh, young players would have had in their minds about whether or not the W League season would even go on. But that's something where we do have to give credit to Football Australia for being able to keep that ship afloat uh, because women's football, particularly in this build-up to 2023, is hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like Liz was saying, it you know, in the A-League, they're doing this thing where it's going to be non-New South Wales teams versus uh, they play each other and then New South Wales teams play each other. But when it comes to the W-League, and this is also an argument for further expansion and, you know, that MacArthur should have a W-League team, as should the Mariners should have a W-League team if they're going to stay around in the A-League. Do, um, do you remember the Mariners, sorry to cut you off, they did put in an application to have a W-League team, but Football Australia denied it at the time. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely. I mean, I remember Wellington put in an application this time and it was rejected on the basis that there were going to be too many kind of New Zealand Kiwi players in there. But anyway, the point is we need more teams, more games, more everything. Um, and how they manage this next few weeks is going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, like that they're having the derby straight up, which is going to be an excellent opener. And I urge everyone to get out there if they can, if we're allowed to go to the stadium. I think it's going to be a fantastic opener on Sunday, um, you know, in a great stadium and everything like that. But, yeah, it's how it goes in the opening few weeks is going to be an issue for these teams in New South Wales. Mm, well, let's get to the crux of what some of those issues might be. And, of course, who better to welcome to talk to those things and so much more than our women's football expert, our legendary Samantha Lewis, joining us on the show here today. Could that dog please give it a rest? Do they know that I'm working today? Whose dog is that, Lucy? The next-door neighbours. I'm at my parents' place, you know. I can't, I can't control these things. Usually at my place we don't have any dogs yapping about. But, look, I'm not going to judge dog owners on this, but I will judge them if they're not shutting them up while I'm working. Samantha, look, <laughs> I want to give the floor to you. Please tell us how the hell are you? Finally, we're a few days out from the season starting, but yesterday I told you I was nervous. I was bloody worried. Yeah, no, you're not the only one. Um, the last month has felt like its own sort of year 
you know, there has been so much happening and it's been so stressful. And the Northern Beaches cluster, you know, I'm in Sydney. It's it's a really scary time for a lot of people here. And honestly, credit to Football Australia and credit to the clubs for being able to organise these rescheduled fixtures as quickly as they could. Um, in the circumstances, it's pretty extraordinary. And they've had to deal with so much this year, you know, and so they just keep on keeping on. And I think it's really admirable of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, in the circumstances, there's still so much to look forward to. We're going to probably be hearing a little bit more about um, the upcoming rounds in terms of new fixtures sometime today or tomorrow. Um, but my understanding is that the reason that has been delayed slightly is because the W League hinges on um, A League in some ways still in terms of broadcasting and in terms of stadium availability. And so they needed to sort out the A-League first before they could get onto the W-League. Uh, but we should be hearing a little bit more information about upcoming fixtures over the next 24 hours. Uh, yeah, and that's going to be fantastic. Sorry, it just went full screen on me and I freaked out. Lucy, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Um, no, uh, Sam, I wanted to know, you know, this is the time where we all start making predictions and we, we talk about, um, you know, what the season will look like going forward. What are your predictions for the seasons? Who, who are the kind of, going to be the favorites? Who do you think we're going to struggle? Who might surprise and what players should we be looking out for? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the big narratives this season is Melbourne City. Uh, Melbourne City were completely decimated in the off season. They lost basically all of their starting players, uh, to Europe and so they're having to go through their first ever serious squad rebuild. Um, and as a result, I think, you know, I'm not alone in saying this, I don't think that they're going to make the top four. Um, it'll be just the second time in their history. If they, if they don't make it, it'll just be the second time in their history that they've done so. And coming off the back of their incredible season last year, the winning the double and going through the whole season undefeated, conceding just four goals, it's going to be a pretty massive uh, drop-off for them. Um, but that's exciting in its own way. It, it presents its own opportunity because it means that there's now a chance for a new W League dynasty perhaps to begin. Um, my predictions uh, are sort of revolving around the teams that, um, based on their squads, are looking quite balanced, teams that have a sort of a core of, of senior, more experienced players to complement um, or to guide uh, sort of peripheral younger and local players. So I'm really liking the look of Brisbane Raw. Um, I think they're in with a real shot at a, at a, at a trophy this season. I'm really liking the look of Melbourne Victory. Um, I think bringing in players like Lisa Devanna, um, retaining players like Amy Jackson, Annalie Longo is really cool. Um, I'm also loving the look of Canberra. I think Canberra has been out in the wilderness for the last couple of seasons, but now they've they've drawn back all the players that were really the heartbeat of that team um, in sort of 2016, 15, 16, 17, when they were sort of at their peak um, or a little bit after their peak. And so there is a feeling of sort of homecoming to, to that team and the narrative around them is really exciting. Um, but just listening to Lizzie before uh, before I came on, you know, you can't go past Sydney FC. They're the only team that has finished in the top four every single season of the W League's existence. Even though they don't have uh, some of the big name players, Caitlin Ford, Chloe Legazzo, Alana Kennedy, uh, all their international imports are gone. I think they've replaced them with some really exciting young players as well. So I'm really loving uh, Claire Wheeler, who's come across from Newcastle. I'm loving Rachel Lowe, who's come back from uh, the US college system. I'm loving Alira Toby, who's come down from Brisbane. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the look of Sydney FC and, and Brisbane and Victory in Canberra. I would say that's probably my top four. You're on mute, mute Lucy. Start again. <laughs> start again. I've unmuted you. I've unmuted you. Go. 
bloody jog. Um, no, tell me about Lisa Devana's homecoming, please. I mean, I, along with a, a host of others, were actually quite excited by the fact that she was coming back. I mean, obviously, you want to see your, your top players playing overseas, but what could this mean for her, Sam, in respect to potentially getting another call-up for the Matildas? Is that even still on the cards? I know that she fell out of favour uh, under Ante Milicic, but, you know, could we see her return back to the fold now that she has come home? I can't see why not. You know, when she was at Fiorentina um, earlier this year, she started to find some really good form. She was scoring a lot of really great goals. She was playing a lot of competitive match minutes. Um, but the Rona just threw a spanner in her works and she was in isolation in Italy for a number of months. Um, I think there was the possibility that she may not have even come back to play W League this season. Um, but I think that perhaps she feels like she's got a little bit of unfinished business in that sense. Um you know, she is obviously thinking about her post-football career now as well. She's, I think, started to sort of work on a couple of projects behind the scenes. And she's really excited, I think, to be involved in a club like Melbourne Victory, where she has had success before. Uh, and she's surrounded by a number of young players who I think she's really keen to mentor. So, I mean, if she's in good form, if she's able to impress Tony Gustafsson, you know, it's basically a clean slate. And I would probably be the first person to uh, say that I think Lisa Devanna deserves at least a send-off uh, similar to what Tim Cahill did, even if it's just friendly. It doesn't really matter what it is, but she has been such an advocate for this game and she is an absolute legend and the game wouldn't be where it is. The Matildas wouldn't be who they are without Lisa Devanna. And so I feel like she deserves at least some sort of send-off um, that she, I don't feel like she's sort of received just yet. Mm, couldn't agree more. Before I bounce over to you, Stolich, um, another topic that I want to bring up with Sam while we've got her here is, of course, with respect to the FIFA Best Awards that were announced in this past week. Robert Lewandowski, of course, claiming the men's and Lucy Bronze being voted the Women's Best Player of the Year. Our questions that we're posing to everybody, are, or question, should I say, is did the voters get it right? And Sam, I'm so glad you're here because you are one of our voters. <laughs> Please, about the process, I don't know if you can actually reveal who you voted for publicly, but can you give us some insight? We, we already put it on the website, so it's all good. <laughs> okay, so you can. Um, we know you obviously didn't vote for Lucy Bronze, but then give us an insight into how this all works and the level of detail that has to go into this type of voting process. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have my name put forward by Football Australia um, to be the voter for the Women's uh, Awards, which was really, really exciting. And it was uh, yeah, it was a real shock to me. Um, what? It wasn't a shock to me. <laughs> for God's sake. So along with you and Anne Odong, you are our darlings of women's football. <laughs> You're our beacons of knowledge and inspiration. It had to be you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm flattered. Um, the process was really interesting, though. Like we uh, we got sent an email and we had to download a, a very special app uh, that FIFA had created for the awards. Um, we got given a short list of players. So I'm not sure who votes on the short list, but we were all the uh, sort of the media, all the coaches, all the players who, who voted in the FIFA Best Awards was, were given a short list. And from that short list, we had to order one, two and three. So we voted for players, we voted for goalkeepers and we voted for coaches. Um, there's obviously quite a lot of politics that go into these kinds of votes as well. Um, and if you look across the sort of the results pages, you'll see that journalists from certain nations tended to prefer or, or privilege uh, players nominated from their own nations as well. Uh, not just journalists, but coaches and players tended to do similar in that respect. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the discussion around these kinds of uh, these kinds of voting tallies and polls and and best you know, best player awards and things are really interesting because 
you know, one of the uh, one of the conversations that happened after FIFA announced their World Eleven was why was Megan Rapinoe included when she barely played in 2020? Mm-hmm. And Rapinoe's response publicly was really um, really important. She said, you know, she was honoured to be selected, but it it points to a wider issue that the women's game is still experiencing, which is visibility and accessibility of of the women's game for people who are in positions of voting power. Even players themselves, they sometimes don't watch the kinds of leagues where some players are doing really well because they don't have access to them. And so I think the the selection of Lucy Bronze uh, as the the FIFA best women's player, I mean, she's obviously a sensational player, but personally I feel like there are other players who had better seasons um, and that's why I voted for the people that I voted for. Of course, my my top vote went to Sam Kerr because she's had one of the most amazing um, sort of 12 months of any player in the world. But I voted for Peniel Harder from Denmark and, and Sam Kerr's new teammate at Chelsea and also for Vivian Miedemar, you know, the, the, the Dutch striker, striker for Arsenal who has broken multiple records over 2020. Um, and so, again, but that reflects my own bias and that reflects the fact that these are the leagues that I'm watching and these are the players and the games that I have access to. Um, compared to me, there are a number of people who voted who are, come from nations that don't have the kind of broadcast infrastructure, the access to these kinds of things that perhaps would allow them to, to vote in similar ways. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. But what's great about it is that we can, like, come on to shows like this and talk about these kinds of things, you know, and point out some of the discrepancies, have arguments about who we think who we think deserves to be on that list and who doesn't. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what builds culture. That's what builds the game. And that's what the women's game needs right now. Couldn't agree more. Stolich, a couple more questions for Sammy before we say goodbye. Yeah, Sammy, I was going to ask just on the voting, what do you think of uh, Matilda's assistant coach, Melissa Andriata, not voting for Sam Kerr? She had Wendy Renard first. She had Barcelona's Caroline Graham Hansen, Viscavasa, uh, second, and then Kerr in third. Uh, what, how do you think that's going to go down? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, again, like I don't, even though I say that there's politics involved, um, People are people have their own preferences. People have their own biases. People vote according to their own parameters. You know, I was also lucky enough to be involved in the Guardian's Top 100 uh, Women Footballers list as well. And the the various uh, sort of rules that you create for yourself and the guidelines you create for yourself uh, are so different from other people's. You know, yeah. so there were one of my rules, for example, was that I didn't vote for any player who didn't play very many minutes in 2020. So even though, for example, a player like Rose Lavelle, who was extraordinary at the Women's World Cup and, you know, has played really well in the NWSL in seasons past, she didn't get on my list at all. She wasn't in my top 40 players that I voted for because she just didn't play. Um, yeah. But other people voted differently, you know. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't like this idea. Like to me, the award is for the calendar year. So you yeah. vote based on the calendar year. If a player barely played in that calendar year, no matter how talented they've been in the past, it, it's sorry that you don't count this year. It's very unfortunate. But you don't count this year. That's what we're judging on. We're not, and this is also people shouldn't. I think sometimes you know you look at this. In, let's say for the men's as well, Robert Lewandowski. To me, he had the best twenty twenty. Is he the best player in the world? I don't think so. But he had the best 2020. I think that's how it should be voted. Who had the best year? He had to win it. Sammy, you're not just an expert in women's football, but you know your men's stuff as well. Did you agree that Lewandowski had to win? Yes, absolutely. If he didn't win it, it it would have been a tragedy because he's had probably the best season of his career. 
You know, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich are the best team in Europe, and I say this as a Liverpool fan. Um, you know, they had an extraordinary Champions League campaign. They're, they're obviously bossing it in the Bundesliga. I, well, I don't... I'm so bored of them in the Bundesliga. God. Well, yeah, of course. But, yeah, like you can't, you sort of can't go past him. So I'm glad he's at least got this sort of recognition because I'm a little bit like, I, I love Messi, but I'm a little bit bored of the Messi-Ronaldo, Messi-Ronaldo, Messi-Ronaldo thing. Um, and so it's it's sort of nice to to see a fresh face up there, even if, you know, Virgil van Dijk probably should have got it uh, last time. But anyway, well, that's a different conversation. Good on you, girlfriend. No, no, no. no. So before we say goodbye to you, um, we have to ask you for your predictions for the season. You gave us a bit of a snapshot of them, but give us your predicted champions, your predicted wooden spooners and your predicted dark horse, please, for the W League. Oh, gosh. All right. Predicted champions, I think I'm going to go with Brisbane Raw. Um, I think their squad I think their squad is the most balanced. I think um, they have some of the most exciting attacking players as well. Um, Emily Gilnick coming in is a huge coup for them, as is the recruitment of a, a sort of a Brazilian striker who's been kicking around the women's MPL in Queensland named Mariel Hecker, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, she played for Lions FC. She was the Golden Boot winner. She was their captain. She took them to two consecutive grand finals. She's looking like a real pickup for them. So I'm going with Brisbane for the champions. Wooden Spooners, I have to say, it's probably a toss-up between the Wanderers and Perth. Uh, the Wanderers. Wanderers, really? Yeah, the Wanderers, again, are having a very similar problem to what Melbourne City have had in the sense that almost all of their starting 11 players from last season have left. Uh, They've lost their entire midfield. They've lost their entire front line. um, And they've lost their two really key centre-backs as well that played almost every minute of their campaign. So they've had to completely rebuild. Um, And I'm not quite sure. I'm not really convinced about the players that they've brought in, particularly up front. I don't know what their goal capabilities are just yet. You know, they've brought in Lena Kamas, for example, but starting to sort of get on in age. She didn't really score that much when she was at Canberra. So, yeah, and again, Perth, sort of similar situation. They're having to rebuild. And I think the wider circumstances of the coronavirus and the late appointment of Alex Aparkas as head coach has sort of really uh, sort of force them to start a lot further back in terms of pre-season prep than other clubs have, um, even though they have recruited some really exciting players. And one player I'm really looking forward to seeing is Hannah Lowry, uh, who burst onto the scene last season. She's a, a, a junior Matilda. Um, she is sort of touted very widely, including by Ray Dower, the women's technical advisor at Football Australia, as sort of the future of the Matildas. And hopefully this is the season that we're going to start to see her be given a bit more of a role. Um, so, yeah, so Wooden Spooners between Western Sydney and Perth, I think. Um, and what was the last one? Dark Horse. Dark Horse. I Would you say that could be a bit of a dark horse? I don't mind some of the plays that they've recruited. Yeah, I mean, I, I quite like the look of, of both Newcastle and Adelaide. Um, and I think the the reason for that is because they've sort of retained a lot of players from previous seasons, which means that they have a lot of consistency. Um, they have a lot of chemistry that's already built into those players and to the relationships on the park. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe one of those could slip in uh, perhaps in the top four, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty solid with my top four prediction. I think there might be a bit of a drop-off between them and the rest. So we'll see. 
Yeah. As a Canberra girl in the final note, I'm so glad to see Michelle Heyman come back into football. Following her progress on her social media, seeing that she's starting to fall back in love with the game, I'm so happy and even happier to see her in the green. So, Sammy Lewis, always a pleasure to chat to you. Please come on our show any bloody time. We wish you and your family and your loved ones and everyone involved a very Merry Christmas and we look forward to catching up with you again in the new year. All the best, Sammy. Thanks, Thanks so much, you legend. Likewise. Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay safe and, uh, yeah, come and watch the W League. Click like, subscribe, whatever. Come watch the W League. It's going to be a really exciting season, even if we don't have familiar faces. This is the new generation of the Matildas and you're getting in at the ground floor and just starting to get to know them. So come along. It'll be super fun. Oh, well done, Sammy. You are a legend. Thank you so much for your time. All the best. Ciao. Yes, great to have Sammy Lewis join us there. Stolich, um, oh, then she's back again. We'll say goodbye again. Um, no, but she's always great to talk to us about women's football there. And what she said at the end was so bang on. Go and watch women's football. Um, you know, when we caught up with Mel Andriata in, in respective press conferences. One thing she's always said when we speak to her about, you know, what we can expect from this next wave and this next generation of players coming through is that we went through similar transitional phases in 2009 when you had your Joey Peters and all these other legendary players retiring. And that's when we started to see the emergences of your Caitlin Fords, your Sam Kerrs, et cetera, really come to the fore. So this is now our perfect opportunity to start to unearth some more talent and think about our next potentially golden or diamond generation if you want to go down that track. So always very exciting to talk to Sam and always very exciting to think about our prospects in women's football going forward as we build towards what we hope will be a sensational Women's World Cup. Stolich, I want to address an interview that you also did. Uh, you had the opportunity to catch up with Victor Sanchez, uh, Western United's newest recruit. Um, and as we kind of look to, to carry on this theme of an A-League slash W-League preview, I'd be really interested to hear what the new recruit said. So let's take a listen. How did you move to Western United? Was it was it a surprise, you know, for us to have a player of your quality is, is amazing. So how did this move come about? Did your agent call you? What, did, did you have any idea of Australia? How did it happen? Pues, eh... Yo llego a través de, de Mark, eh, del entrenador de, de Western United, porque eh, él había trabajado con un representante que trabaja bastante en España y, y me llaman y me, da, me dicen la posibilidad de poder venir aquí. Y bueno, eh, le empezamos a dar vueltas, vemos que es un país donde nos hay muchas cosas de las que buscamos, hay seguridad, hay buena educación, eh, todo el tema del virus está muy controlado y además es una liga competitiva, y, y bueno, y Mark me dice que quiere contar conmigo, y, y la verdad que, que al final se ha podido hacer. Has the coach, Mark Rudin, spoken to you about uh, your position in the team and the style of play that you play at Western United this season? Sí, al principio de hablar con él, eh, me dijo que, bueno, cómo juega el equipo, que juega más o menos con 5-3-5-1, o 3-5-1-2-2, eh, con un pivote defensivo, con tres atrás, dos, dos carrileros y, y dos y dos por delante. Es un poco parecido a, a cómo jugamos nosotros con el español, con, con eh, Pablo Machín, porque además Marc estuvo en, en Girona conociendo un poco también cómo trabajaba Pablo y entonces ya lo tengo yo del año pasado prácticamente, porque el año pasado jugamos como tres, cuatro meses de, de esta manera. Y bueno, la idea es que estaba buscando un medio centro, un pivote... Eh, posicional que jugara por delante de la defensa y al final pensó en mí. So there you have it. I just want to also point out for anyone who was who's listening to this as a podcast that was uh, subtitled. 
Because um, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you're like, why is he just answering in Spanish? And I want to give a big uh, shout out to my friend Andres Pichel, who sat with me. That was the guy you saw at the very start of the um, interview. And he translated everything uh, for me. So that was very good. Nick, you needed a translator for shame, says A-League memes. I'm embarrassed for you because you've been touting for so long that your Spanish is, you know, starting to get really good. And I expected you to be able to conduct the whole interview in Spanish. That includes the translating as well. You're an embarrassment. Yeah, but imagine imagine it goes wrong for half a second and then you're there like, oh, my God, what did he actually say? And then you make a big mistake, you know. So th- th- I just needed an absolute, you know, expert, a fluent speaker. And Andres actually is a really good footballer as well. So he was discussing all the positions and stuff. And I really liked uh, what Victor Sanchez said. He just was very open about how they're going to tactically set up. And I think Western United, they're going to have one of the clearest tactical identities um, in the league. And I think that's really going to help them. You know, I think we might even see them improve on last season. But, you know, like Victor was saying there, they are going to play with his back three that go, you know, wingbacks uh, and then he's going to be in that kind of defensive midfield pivot position, really setting the tempo for uh, the team. So it's going to be a very interesting season for them. Do you know what I really liked before we move on quickly and get your predictions for the A-League before we wrap up the show with uh, bad news, good news and a quick wrap of Aussies abroad? I really liked knowing that um, the great Marco Rodan was overseas expanding his knowledge, going and checking out what's happening in Girona, looking at and, and really scouting for new players to bring new talent to the A-League. Um, you know, when you hear of things like that, you think that this is somebody that's looking to really expand on their coaching knowledge but also go very far beyond Australian shores. So well done to, to Rudes on that one um can't commend him more and also for bringing a player of, of sanchez's quality into australia so we can get a look at him um quickly who are your predictions guys where the bloody hell have you been in your engagement on this who are your predictions for champions wooden spooners and dark horses stolich go all right, champions, I'm going to have to say Sydney FC again. I know it's a very boring prediction. They keep winning, but, you know, they're the most stable team, and I think if they can sign a good striker in January, we're hearing Bobo. Um, it was reported a few weeks ago, but we're hearing Bobo. If I think if they can get a good striker, they'll be first. I would say City is going to be second as well. I know, again, that was what happened last season. Uh, in terms of dark horses, Adelaide United is who I really uh, like. I really liked what Carl Viet was doing at the end of the season. I think there's some interesting uh, players that they've signed. I hope they can step up. So Adelaide United is my dark horse. Uh, Wooden Spooners, I'm going to have to go the Mariners. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, I would love to see someone else other than the Mariners. But what evidence do we have that they're going to be an improvement on this season? You know, they barely have a a full-on squad. Yeah, A-League memes are saying the Jets for Wooden Spoon. Again, I, I think they might be slightly better um but there's so many issues at the jets so it it is a bit of an issue but and uh yeah what was the other prediction that we had to make dark horse i did dark horse dark horse had laid united for me i think they're going to be a really interesting team this year on the carpet you've done wooden spooners you've done champions have you done dark horse muzi alongo one of our top fans here on the world game live great to have your company mate he says the dark horse could be western Sydney wanderers um i'm gonna i'm gonna go against the grain here and say melbourne city i'm i'm predicting them to actually go one better they'll be hungry for revenge as um our great friend here uh, i believe it was who did we have here katie bayou yes one of our other top fans and regular viewers here on the world game live she said melbourne city want revenge so they might do it i tend to agree there on that one wooden spooners look it's a toss-up really isn't it between the jets and the mariners based on what we've seen the players that they've signed or lack thereof the upheaval that they've had off the field the fact that both of these clubs are looking to offload their ownership licenses um it's just a real mess so i really i can't pick between the two of them although i tend to agree with you stolich i think that um that essentially the jets could be marginally better 
Uh, I think they've got a bit of quality of, of, of player, you know, calibre within their squad, to be fair to them, respectfully speaking. Uh, Dark Horse, what about MacArthur? Are we not talking about MacArthur in any of this? I think they've signed some great players. And, um, you know, being a new side in the competition, they'll be looking to, to stamp their authority. So they could potentially do some damage. And Ante Milicic, don't discredit him. He's a fantastic coach and don't discount what he could do with his side. Mark Milligan, yeah. Adam Ricci, Tommy Orr, hopefully he'll be fully fit as well. So they're, New they're teams, gonna... they always take a little while to Joe, I think I think we'll see him finish strong. Wanderers would have something to say about that, darling. Even they, they even they had some issues in the first, I think the first four games or something. They barely scored a goal, um, but then they went um, on that crazy run. I went to go and do jeepers creepers. I'm not going to use that as an example, but look, let's just say he'll never want a A League title. <sighs> All right, just shut up, okay. <laughs> <laughs> The show. Tell me, what's happening with Aussies abroad? What are they doing over there? Yes. I know Mitch Langerak has been breaking records in the J-League for the most amount of clean sheets. Matty Ryan, good God, what's happening with him over at Brighton? Now all of a sudden Potter's coming out and saying, actually, he's free to leave. So how did this all turn so sour? So yeah, I don't, I don't know because, for, I mean, and maybe if we look at it through an Australian angle, but from where I was seeing Brighton, Matty Ryan was always pulling off really good saves. He was good with his feet, which we, you know, thought was important as they kind of adapted to this new style. So Matty Ryan kind of being on the outer at Brighton, I really hope he either stays in the Premier League or we see him back in La Liga. I know he was at Valencia before. I think Real Betis, he, he, he could go there. They need to kind of upgrade on their keeper. So I'd love to see him back in La Liga. And he, you know, from all accounts, you know, really enjoyed it. But, you know, Valencia was under Gary Neville. It was an absolute disaster at the time. So no one was having a really good time. And from what I understand, he had a really good time off the field. He really enjoyed the culture there. So I think that would be really interesting. But, it's a you know, it's a knock on Australian football that we are going to have, if he is to leave, no players in the Premier League anymore. You know, in kind of 2005, 2006, I think we had 13, 14 players all playing regularly, not just on the bench or anything like that. Um, good to see uh, Rustic made his debut in the Bundesliga for Eintracht Frankfurt. Love to see him get more game time. Daniel Arzani, nowhere to be seen at Utrecht. Don't know what's going on there. Um, as you said, Mitch Langrak breaking the J-League record for most clean sheets in a season. Congratulations to him. Uh, fantastic work um, by that. And, you know, is he now pushing Matt Ryan for that number one spot? If Matt Ryan is no longer playing for the Socceroos, that could be very interesting. Sam Kerr, back to a goal-scoring best, finishing seventh in the oh. FIFA Best Awards as well. And also we're going to give a shout-out to Tom Rogic, who came off the bench for Celtic, and they won their, I think it was their quadruple treble. So they've won the treble four times in a row. And he is now, as far as I can see, the second most decorated uh, Australian player ever. We think he has 16 trophies. Scott Chipperfield, in fact, has 17. So Rogic, if he sticks around at Celtic, and, you know, we kind of give him a bit of crap for staying at Celtic all this time, but Celtic have great fans and they win a lot of trophies. So there would be a lot to like about that. Mm, couldn't agree more. All right, let's wrap up the show, guys, with bad news, good news. What's your bad news and good news for the week? Share with us what your versions are. Stolich, you go ahead and give us yours first. Well, just very randomly, A-League memes, and I don't know, maybe A-League memes are making it up, but they're saying A-League just signed with Bunnings. I don't know if that's a naming sponsor, um, but maybe the A-League has just signed. We don't know. This is unconfirmed. We're not saying it's confirmed. We're just saying the A-League memes are saying it. Is it a joke? Is it not? Bunnings, big store. Um, you know, and the A-League. They are in the business of fixing things, and the A-League 
Morphing fixing. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It takes one second to get the hook. And you know what? By the way, I, I reckon this should work for other things as well. Transfers. If you can find a better price, Bunnings will beat it by 10%. This, this kind of stuff, I want to see it everywhere. I want to see, you know, we've had the source bottles at the Mariners. I want to see players coming off in wheelbarrows instead of on stretches. There's a lot of things that we could do with this. The Bunnings A-League. I don't know. I'm getting a little too excited. It might not even be true. Remember the Bunnings chairs? Um, oh, you know, the Bunnings chairs. We've already been sponsoring the incident. You know, these are the, this is perfect. It's actually the perfect the fit. The tape for the Nets when the Nets yeah. came apart? Yeah, the Mariners game, yeah. I mean, it's just it's this is outrageous. This is the perfect sponsor. This is the perfect sponsor. So that that can be um, the good news for like the bad news uh, was of course uh, all the COVID stuff. You know, throwing the league into disarray. Um, you know, and I I feeling for those people on the northern beaches who you know they're not going to be able to travel. A lot of people aren't going to travel into state. Um, you know, there's only I think they can have five people over on Christmas Day. And you know, mm -hmm. if you if you're from any ethnic family like me and Lucy, you, you always have a massive Christmas. So anyway, but. Mm -hmm. All good, Orthodox Christmas, Greek Orthodox Christmas in January. So just wait until uh, January 10th, I think it is, or January 7th. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, that's what I'd say. <laughs> Very good stuff, Stolich. And thank you to everybody, of course, for tuning in today and sharing some of their good news, bad news with us as well. It's been a massive program, of course, as we bid farewell ahead of what will be Christmas this week. Guys, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones, wherever you are across the country or from wherever you're viewing, because we know that we've had some, you know, viewers beyond Australian shores. You know, thank you so much for your company in 2020. We hope that it's a safe and Merry Christmas with everybody and I know for those of you in New South Wales we are feeling for you at the moment particularly those stationed in the northern beaches but we hope that we can get a handle of COVID-19 and look forward to a brighter 2021 stolage you are going to be on holidays next week I don't begrudge you for taking leave I will miss you as will all of the fans so we wish you a fantastic break of course next week will be our special year in review program so I know that we've had a challenging year no thanks to COVID-19 as we've said repeatedly but myself and a series of special guests will be going over what we've experienced experienced in 2020 and potentially what we could look forward to in 2021. So I want to thank you for your company today. For a lot of the stories that we have discussed, by all means, guys, head to the World Game website. That is your one-stop shop for all things football-related from opinion pieces, videos, exclusive content. That is the destination to go to. Merry Christmas to everyone, to all of our regular viewers as well. We love you guys. We love engaging with you. So it's great to be back and it's great to keep the conversations going. The A-League and the W-League seasons are kicking off this weekend. So, guys, let's get back to talking about the football to celebrating it. Hopefully we can see some fans piling through the gates and talking about what we love best, which is the beautiful game, baby. On behalf of myself, Stolich, and the entire team at the World Game, it's Merry Christmas. Goodbye for now, and we'll see you again next week from 1pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time.